Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Believe in Betting, a Sports Garden Network production. We are your source for sports entertainment and credible sports intelligence. And now, here's your host, Tom Barton. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting. It is week 14. Believe in Betting, we are talking about, look, uh, a lot of things going on in the NFL. A good slate of games this week. A lot of teams are kind of on the edge. A lot of teams have to win out. They think they have a playoff chance. We're going to get into all the games, and it starts off right away on Thursday night. Raiders are on life support. Yeah, I did mention that, right? The Raiders are basically on life support. But there's a good chance, at least there's a feeling with the Raiders, that they can go out, they could sweep the board here, win their next five games, and get into the playoffs. And while I usually think that Raiders fans are just kind of pie in the sky and they're, they're, they're looking at the best-case scenario and all that, I got to say, they might have a point here, right? I mean, you look at this team, and I don't think that they're necessarily making the playoffs. And because of their, they are in the AFC. If you're in the NFC, I think you can make the playoffs with nine wins. In the NFC, you've got to win 10 games, just the way that it's shaking out. Now, they've won three games in a row. Uh, They now have the Rams. They are a favorite on Thursday night. We'll get into that in a moment. After that, they get New England at home. Look, it's a tough game, right? It's not an easy game, but it's a winnable game. I don't think that they're going to be any more than a field goal one way or the other. So that's a winnable game. Then they get Pittsburgh. It's a primetime game. It's in Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh's a tough spot. But you can't tell me Pittsburgh scares you if you're the Raiders, right? Again, a game where I expect three points one way or the other. They're in that game. They then get San Francisco and Kansas City the last two games. So let's say they go 3-0. Both of those games are at home. Can they beat San Francisco with Brock Purdy at home? I don't think it's completely crazy to think. And then Kansas City the last week, obviously the Chiefs want to beat them, but will Kansas City need the game? Will they even need the game? Look, I'm looking at the Raiders' schedule, and I, I see five games. I think the most they win is three. I don't see them going 5-0. and But, hey, you got to take the one game that's right in front of you, which we'll talk about right now. That's the Raiders against the Rams, and, and this is a six-point spread. Right, I mean, you look at this and you go, the Raiders are supposed to win the game. The Raiders have won three in a row. The Rams have lost six straight. But the Rams did look a lot better last week. Look, they, they're still down Matthew Stafford, going to be out for the season. They're still out Cooper Cup, let's be honest, out for the season. Still down Allen Robinson, out for the season. Uh, their offensive line is a disaster. Their defense, missing Aaron Donald, who's banged up. It's a problem, right? We know that. And it, it it's a problem for the Rams that it's a short week. It's going to be a Raiders crowd. I mean, that's just reality. It's going to be a Raiders crowd, even though uh, they're in a spot where you go, oh, well, it's at the Rams. Eh, it's going to be a Vegas crowd. The Rams fans have checked out, and Raiders get to see them back in Los Angeles. The Rams have been one of the worst teams against the spread this year, 3-7-2. and two, And if you got a bad line, it could be as much as 3-9 and nine against the spread. And then you look at the Raiders, and you go, okay, look. The Raiders have scored 21 or more points in each of those last three games. Okay, they, that, they went up against the Broncos and looked good against the Broncos in a game that their defense is good. Who cares how what their offense, but their defense is good. The Raiders are averaging about six yards per play. That That's a full yard than the Rams. More. I mean, that's incredible. 
the Raiders are absolutely rolling right now. And they're rolling with Josh Jacobs, who they should have been rolling with all along. He's running the ball effectively. He's running the ball really well. And when you have Jacobs running the ball well and Devontae Adams playing at this level, well, it makes Derek Carr look good. Last week, all of a sudden, off of the milk carton came Chandler Jones, and he looked good. But I'm going to say this. I could have heaped, and I think I did last week, heap a lot of praise on the Seattle Seahawks last week. The Seahawks were going to be okay. Uh, Walker was doing well. Geno Smith was doing right. Oh, yeah. Well, the Rams held them to like 30 yards rushing. And I know it's a division rival. I get it. But I was impressed with what the Rams did last week. And McVay is a good coach. I give him a lot of guff, and I don't love him as the, the second coming. But he is a good coach. And he was able to correct some things and figure some things out. I think that the Raiders win this game, but it wouldn't shock me to see the Rams keeping this thing close. Again, it's a short week, and it's it's on the road for the, the Raiders. I mean, it's going to feel like a home game, but it is on the road. It is a travel game. It is a short week. And now the Raiders have something that they didn't have all last year. At no time last year did they have, and really this year they don't. They haven't had uh, really after the first couple of weeks, and that's expectations. People are expecting the Raiders to win. Last year the Raiders made the playoffs with a interim head coach with all kinds of things going on that were uh, head scratchingly weird, and they just defied all odds. But they were never expected to win. Uh, they kept winning, and we kept saying, "Wow." Didn't see that coming. This year, I know the Raiders had a little bit of expectations from Raiders fans, but let's be honest, around the league, nobody really expected the Raiders to compete. If you remember before the year, people were picking Denver to win the Super Bowl. People were picking KC to win the Super Bowl, and the hottest team were the Chargers to win the Super Bowl. Uh, nobody believed that the Raiders were going to do anything this year. Now, all of a sudden, you've won three games in a row. You're on a Thursday night against an ailing Rams team that, oh, by the way, can run the ball. They showed it last week. Suddenly, they can run the ball. And you're supposed to win. This has to be a win for Raiders. From Raiders fans, from the NFL community, this has to be a win. They finally have expectations. That could be a dangerous thing with a Raiders squad that I think is still poorly coached. I don't think anyone's going to argue. It's poorly coached. I think Derek Carr certainly has limitations. And that defense scares me. That defense is not a defense that I'm afraid of, which means that it scares me. So I think it's a tough game. I lean the Raiders. But it wouldn't shock me if they don't cover the six. Let's go to the AFC East and the New York Jets, Buffalo Bills. The line's about nine, and this is an intriguing line just because the fact that, look, the public over the last couple of years has just been betting the Bills like crazy, but the Jets have garnered so much attention that the Jets were getting some skewed lines here. People were all over the Mike White bandwagon, and rightfully so. Look, Mike White has put up back-to-back 300-yard games, right? And it was against a decent defense in the public perception of the Minnesota Vikings. Now, we have talked about it many times. The Vikings actually don't have a very good defense, and Mike White was able to kind of exploit that. The Jets, though, they don't have a running game going on. Don't tell me about Zovon or James Robinson or anybody there. They don't have an effective running game, so it's Mike White kind of throwing the ball all over. That could be a problem against a Bills defense that not only are getting healthy, but they're one of the best in the league against the pass. You could run on them a little, but they're better against the pass. Now, Buffalo hasn't played a home game since November 13th. And we remember because of the snow and everything else, there was a problem there. Well, it's supposed to be a wintry mix. I told you guys that wintry mix comment was coming. It's supposed to be a wintry mix here. Very cold. It could get pretty nasty on Sunday. So that kind of tends to lean to the under as well. But I do worry because both of these offenses have been explosive. The first meeting wasn't under. The first meeting was 2017. The Jets won. So you expect Buffalo to want revenge here as well. The Jets, they are 3-7 and seven against the spread of the last 10 games in Buffalo. They don't win in Buffalo. And the Jets are a young team that are making strides. They are 8th 
ranked defense uh, overall. And you have to like that. But they're making strides. Those strides are harder to make on the road. It's harder for a young team to go on the road. And then go on the road in division is even harder. Go on the road in division against a quality opponent is better. And especially against a team that, you know, is seemingly finding their groove again. I'm not saying that Buffalo is fixed. But there was a point there that I was a little concerned about Josh Allen. There was a point that I was going, I was texting back and forth with, with people and go, man, uh, Josh Allen doesn't look good. Uh, he doesn't, this is a problem. All of a sudden, they look better. And James Cook has kind of become that guy now. I don't think he's fully taken over from Devin Singletary, but he certainly has become that guy. And that guy in James Cook now gives them a two-headed running attack. Stephon Diggs is still Stephon Diggs. You got Gabe Davis. You got Isaiah McKenzie. You have Josh Allen looking better now. The offense is unstoppable. So the Jets' eighth-ranked defense, yeah, it's good, but it's not going to be as good on the road in these kind of situations. And no matter how good you are, I think Josh Allen can take advantage. I think the line is a little inflated. I do. Look, I think that the Bills win. And if I was still alive in a survivor pool, sure, the Bills are definitely a team that I'd be riding with. I think the Bills win. I actually tend to think that the Bills pretty much have this game in hand. But I do think it's going to be a closer game uh, than really what the game indicates. Right? A closer score than what the game indicates. I could see the Bills sitting here fully in control of this game, but it being like a 20 to 10 game until late in the game, right? Uh, so I can see that kind of matchup. I can see a 24-14 game late in the game and the Jets kind of throw on a late touchdown for no reason. That kind of matchup does worry me when you're laying nine in a division game. I think the Jets are a dangerous team. I don't think that they're going to win this game, but I do think that they could keep it relatively competitive for most of the game. So if this line was five or six, I'd be all over Buffalo. The line being at nine, well, they did a great job. You're starting to question it. You're starting to look at it and say, yeah, maybe with the line being nine, maybe I want to jump on uh, the New York Jets a little bit. And they're trying to get some Jets action, which I do think that they're going to be able to do with a line this big. Deshaun Watson came back, and he looked terrible. Well, after 700 days not being near the game, right? You expect him to look terrible. I'm happy that he looked terrible, but look, I understand. He's going to look better as the year progresses and as he gets snaps under his belt. It had been 700 days since a regular season game. It had been more than two years since he won a regular season game. And now you look at this and you go, okay, Bengals are red hot. Everybody loves the Bengals. They're red hot. They beat the Chiefs. People are talking about a return to the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow's back in the MVP conversation. Oh, here we go. Everybody's on the Bengals. Yet they only open up at home against a Browns team that's got a guy coming back from a 700-day absence, right? At home, only a six-point favorite. This is a weird line, but it's not so weird if you know the history between these two teams. And I'm not talking about the long-term history. I'm not going back to the 1940s. No, the history between these two teams are very simple. Joe Burrow is 0-4 as a starter against Cleveland. Yeah, there it is. I mean, Cleveland owns Joe Burrow for whatever reason. Look, the Bengals have won four straight games uh, after they lost to the Browns this year. They went on a great streak, but they lost to the Browns, yeah, even this year. Cincinnati is 4-0 against the spread the last four home games. They're 9-3 against the spread on the year, which is the best record, but they haven't covered a game with Joe Burrow. They've beaten, the Browns have beaten the Bengals five times in a row, four times with Joe Burrow, but five times in a row here. So you start to look at this and you go, okay, now I sort of understand the line. For whatever reason, even though, the Bengals went to the Super Bowl last year. They just couldn't beat 
the Browns. And you could talk about it being coaching, and maybe there's some coaching there. Uh, it, it is the Joe Burrow effect. Joe Burrow, as much as we put praise on him for how he plays against Kansas City, how he steps up against Patrick Mahomes, what he does in that, I guess we'll call it a rivalry, he does the opposite against the bang, against the Browns. The Bengals just don't play well against the Browns. And this is, yes, it is at home. So I lean Cincinnati. Look, Cincinnati is the better team. Make no no doubt about it. Cincinnati is the better team. And you're getting the better team that is the hotter team. No doubt about it. They're the better team and they're the hotter team. And they're at home. Oh, yeah. They're better. They're hotter. And they're at home. And Joe Burrow is playing by far the best football of the year. Jamar Chase is back into the fold, which I think is is a huge addition. Even if he doesn't get the numbers, the coverage that needs to be put towards him and the opening up underneath because of, of Jamar Chase, yeah, that is, you can't understate that. It's massive. But I do know the history. And now Deshaun Watson, I hate to say I don't want to give this guy any credit, but Deshaun Watson, look, he didn't look good. Right? No touchdowns, interception. The defense was really good. The special teams was very good over the Tex- uh, Texans. Uh, they, they played really well. Cincinnati has a seventh-ranked overall offense. They're going to score. Can Deshaun Watson score? I, I think it was a lot to ask Deshaun Watson from a— if we take—look, the guy's a scumbag. If we take that out of it, just from a football's perspective, I think it was a lot to ask of Deshaun Watson to come back after 700 days— and, and perform really well. That's number one. Now, add into that. Come back after 700 days. Look at the situation. And then take away his tight end. And Joko was banged up. Uh, okay, now you're missing a piece. And and you say, well, it's a tight end. No, no, no. A tight end for, for a quarterback that hasn't been near the game is pretty vital. And then to come back from 700 days, go to the city where 20-some-odd women accused you of all this stuff, the the the, the litany of, of what you did and how the legal process, and, and it's in that city. People booing you, the tension on you, all of that. I mean, the attention, the days off, the problems, the injury, all of it, all of it was just a lot to ask about Deshaun Watson. Now, in a weird spot, Deshaun Watson gets to lead an offense that has success against Cincinnati. In a weird spot, the spotlight will be off of him this week. It, it's in Cincinnati. Oh, there'll be booze, but they're going to be booze on the road anyway. But he gets to kind of get away from everything and just focus on football this week. You look at an offense that Jacoby Brissett had in the top 10, and Deshaun Watson's going to have a lot of those pieces to go, including a guy like Nick Chubb. The defense of the Browns has been terrible all year, but they've also been banged up. They looked pretty good the last three weeks. Last couple of weeks, they're getting to the quarterback. They're getting pressure on the quarterback. And we know that Joe Burrow cannot and will not, uh, <laughs> you know, get an offensive line. I mean, it just, it just doesn't happen. He can't get protection, guys. So the Browns are playing better defensively. The Browns are able to rush the passer, which is an Achilles heel of the, of the Bengals. So while you do have that side, look, I, I am going with the Bengals here. I think that you have to, okay? There's no way you could take me to take the Browns unless you're a complete contrarian and just going with, you know, the streak and everything else. But there's reasons to not take the Bengals. There's reasons to be hesitant here. And there's reasons to look at the line, the line that's sitting at six and people scratching their head about it and go, no, 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 that makes sense. No, there's reasons to look at this and say, no, 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 that makes some sense why the line is there. I'm not saying I'm going with it. It's Bengals or bust for me, but I might be leaning towards nothing here 
rather than go in on the Bengals because I do have some fears. The Dallas Cowboys, Houston Texans, Dallas looks like world beaters. I mean, that, that's just the reality of it. Take away the Dallas name and all you haters out there. The Dallas Cowboys look like world beaters. Since week 10, when they lost to the Packers in, in, in a game where the Packers offense just suddenly found itself, the Cowboys are averaging 41 points per game, 180 rushing yards per game. They have the two-headed attack. We didn't know what was going to happen. When Pollard was running crazy... And there's so many people who say, well, you know, what, did, what is Dallas going to do? Because Pollard is clearly the better player. Clearly, he's got the more explosive feet. What are they going to do with Ezekiel Elliott coming back? And the fear was, well, you know what? They're just going to give it to Ezekiel Elliott, and uh, he's going to be their lead back, even if they don't get as much production. Well, they have really effectively gone to a two-headed attack. Ezekiel Elliott looks spry out there, man. He does. He looks good. And maybe not as good as Pollard or as explosive as Pollard, but they have a one-two attack, and they are running the ball right down people's throats. Dak Prescott is a guy that I like. I think he's a winner. I think he can be a winner, I should say. Uh, I like that C.D. Lamb has basically taken over, but this is all about the one-two punch, which opens up everything else in the offense. You look at Houston now. They are last in the NFL in rushing defense at 169 yards per game. Houston cannot stop the run, and a lot of teams are running on them in obvious running situations. Obvious running situations where the Houston Texans are down big points, are down late in the game. Teams are stacking the box and, and, and just saying, hey, guys, by the way, we're going to run the ball right up the middle. And Houston is stacking the box against them, and they're not able to stop them, which I think is going to be the case here. The Cowboys on defense, they rank sixth, sixth overall. They lead the NFL in sacks with 47. Uh, the Houston Texans, yeah, they have Damian Pierce, but he hasn't looked great recently. So you look at Dallas, it's all Dallas. We know that. It's going to be Dallas. It's the battle of, of Texas, right? It's going to be all Dallas all day long. But can you lay 17 points? Dallas coming off of a huge win. But let's not forget, at the half, that game was still in question. There's a lot of mistakes in that game. Is Houston going to make that those mistakes, or are they just going to kind of sit on their hands and play a conservative game? I hate laying this many points in any game against anybody. If there's a game, it might be the red-hot Dallas Cowboys against this Texans team that you might want to lay it about. Um, I, I'm hesitant to lay the points, but I think that Dallas probably wins the game. Uh, wins the game handedly. I think they win the game probably by 14 to 17 points. They could win it 20 or more. It's hard to blow teams out week after week. And, oh, by the way, Dallas is on basically a short week. So that's something to keep in mind as well. We have a big battle between Minnesota and Detroit. I'm shocked at the line here. I'm shocked at the line, not because I think that the Detroit Lions are, are incapable of winning this game, incapable of covering this game. It's basically Detroit minus one, depending on where you're looking at. I expect this to go back down, probably to zero, or even a Minnesota might flip. Uh, but the fact that the Minnesota Vikings are being talked about as a Super Bowl favorite, the fact that the Minnesota Vikings have a legitimate claim that right now they're the second-best team in the NFC, the fact that the Minnesota Vikings have been doing so on such a grand stage, meaning they're doing it late, people are watching them, you know, they got Justin Jefferson, they have somebody, they're not flying under the radar here, yet the Lions are the favorite? I, this is this is one of those things that you go, wait, why? Why? Why would Vegas make this the Lions are the favorites when you know money is going to come pouring in on Minnesota? Well, the last three games between these two teams have been decided by a combined eight points. Okay? Detroit, they won at Ford Field last year, so it is at home. We know that. Uh, the Vikings this year, they're 9-0 decided by eight points or less. So they play a lot of close games. The Lions, by the way, are 2-5 and five in that same stretch. Vikings won earlier this year, 28-24, but they are 0-4 against the spread in Detroit in the last four games. 
The Lions are 5-2 and two against the spread at home. A lot of credence to the Lions here, right? I mean, you, you look at this and you go, yeah. The Vikings are the 31st-ranked defense overall. The Lions... Even worse, the 32nd overall. And they looked uh, look, they looked good against the Jags last week, and they still didn't move out of that 32nd. We have the team that uh, has given up the most points in the NFL this year, the Lions, against the team that has given up the most passing yards in the Vikings. Expect passing all day. DJ Chark is coming back. Brown, St. Brown looks unstoppable. So you have two really bad defenses against pretty good offenses. The Lions are 7th. The Vikings are, are, are 19th. Um, when you're talking about overall, but the passing offenses start to become a little bit different. Uh, to me, this is an over type of game. I don't want to go anywhere near the spread. I really don't. Uh, I think that the Lions, my initial thought was that, you know, I'm going to probably take the Lions at home getting points. And then it opened up as the Lions at favorite. And I say, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Minnesota just has something this year. Sometimes that something means something, if you know what I mean, right? Sometimes having that that something does mean something in the grand scheme of things. It does mean uh, that teams know how to win, that teams are knowing, figuring out, the Vikings are figuring out how to win close games, and the Lions can't do that. I, I, I tend to think that this is just a stay-away game. I think I, I'm really intrigued to see you know, how this game plays out. Because if Minnesota wins this game, we we just can't keep overlooking Minnesota. We just can't. And if the Lions win the game, all of a sudden you go, well, you know, did they burst Minnesota's bubble? Or are the Lions actually turning into a decent team? I know a couple of my Vegas guys, uh, my Vegas Lion fans would disagree that they're a decent team. But I, I think that they are starting to become that. And maybe the public isn't realizing it. That's why you take them. Okay, let's talk another division rivalry game. Philadelphia and the Giants, number is six and a half. Another low number, at least in my opinion. I thought that the public would be all over the Eagles here. I thought that the public would just be jumping on a team that people are talking about Super Bowl. We just talked about the MVP with Jalen Hurts. I think that everyone is looking at this Philadelphia Eagles team and seeing what their future can be. The Giants have fallen off bad, but I'm glad that it's a reasonable number. I, I, I honestly believe that this number would be 9 or 10 just because of the public perception. But I think that it's right. Look, it opened at 7. It went down to 6.5. A, a lot of the uh, quote-unquote sharps jumped on the Giants right away. This is going to be two meetings in the next two weeks with the Eagles, which is a weird scheduling spot. But this one is in New York. The weather is not supposed to be much of a problem. I'm hearing a little bit of wind, but not, not much of a problem. And you look at this and you go, look, the Giants are the best against the spread record in the NFL, but they have fallen off recently. Philadelphia, they're 1-4 against the spread on the road, so there's some things there. But Philadelphia is rolling. Philadelphia can beat you in many ways offensively. They rushed for 363 yards in Week 12 and then passed for 386 yards in Week 13. Right? I mean, that, that, there you go. The Giants have owned the last seven meetings— Five and two against the spread. The Giants are against the Eagles. Now, it's a different Eagles team. You could talk to me about the Eagles having a top four offense, which they do. The Eagles have the number two defense overall. They got six sacks last week. They kept Derrick Henry to just 30 yards on 11 carries last week. They, they are just stopping anybody. They have stopped, stopped Tennessee from scoring anything in the second half last week. And that's against a pretty good Tennessee team. But what it really is, is it's a Tennessee team that reminds me quite a bit about this Giants team. I mean, that's really what I look for. I look at this and I go, yeah, it reminds me what the Giants are. They want to run the ball at Saquon Barkley. They have a couple of downfield threats. They use their tight end a lot. They're well coached. And they want to play bend but don't break defense. To me, that's the Tennessee Titans. And we just watch what happened there. But I will say this. Look, that Tennessee game, and I'm not making excuses because I was all over Tennessee last week. But that Tennessee game was intriguing to the point of uh, being one of those games where you go, 
hmm, why? Why did this happen? Look, that game was 7-7 when Traylon Burks went out. And Traylon Burks is their deep threat, and now all of a sudden they didn't have that deep threat. Can Darius Slayton become that deep threat for the Giants? Can he be that threat that they're all looking at and saying, yeah, he's going to be that guy? Can they go down that route? I'm not sure if they can, uh, but if they can open it up down the middle, maybe they can have a little success. Let's talk Baltimore Steelers. Another divisional matchup here. I love the schedule makers giving us all kinds of divisional matchups. Baltimore-Pittsburgh, probably no Lamar Jackson. We don't know if he's going to play, but listening to Harbaugh, it sounds like he's not going to play. And I get it. There's a lot of people going, well, you know what? His backup, he's a a carbon copy. It is what it is. It's not a carbon copy. And it's not a carbon copy only because the defenses don't have to attest to that. The same kind of situation, right? They don't have to attest to the the spot where you're looking. Oh, well, we got to just make sure we stop Lamar. No, I mean, Huntley can do some things, but Huntley can't do Lamar-type things. It's just that few people can. That's not going to happen. The Ravens, they were 6-3 and three after 10 weeks, and they could have been like 9-0. and oh, But now, all of a sudden, things have kind of fallen off for them. And you can blame it on injuries. You can blame it on whatever you need to. I think the Ravens are going to be fine long term. This is a dangerous game. Pittsburgh's won two games in a row. Kenny Pickett has looked much better. He looks like he's improving week after week. Now, I don't know if he's the guy, but he's completed 66% of the passes, right? That That's pretty good. Um He's got more interceptions than he does touchdowns, but they're not asking him to throw the ball too much. A lot of those interceptions, by the way, came against the Jets in fluky ways. I think, what did he have, three against the Jets in fluky situations. But Kenny Pickett's looking better. Najee Harris is looking better. But the big thing is this, and I talked about this before the year began, oh, about the Pittsburgh Steelers. I spoke about this at length with Josh Taylor um, from uh, CBS Pittsburgh, which we have on our Wanna Bet Weekend show all the time, about this spot. And I talked about it when he went down, and that's J.J. Watt, or T.J. Watt, I'm sorry. Back in week 10, you know, they got him back. Before that, they couldn't do anything. I've talked about it. They average a sack less per game. They average two or three hurries, depending on on where you're looking, uh, two or three hurries less per game. That's a massive difference. But since then, and Watt returns, the Steelers have gone three and one. They're actually four and one in games where T.J. Watt plays. Guys, that's impressive. I worry about the Ravens if I'm a Ravens fan here. I'm concerned about it. I don't think that there's going to be a lot of offense on Pittsburgh's side, but they don't need it. They get Fryermuth. He does his thing. You know, they get the, the, the couple of guys that, that they need to step up. Harris has stepped up, and obviously, you know, you have Pickett trying to develop, and I think he is. Baltimore's defense has all the names, but they haven't been performing like they have all the names all season long. Roquan Smith certainly helped them out, but they haven't been performing like this dominant defense week in and week out. They are beatable. This is a beatable spot for a hometown Pittsburgh team. Jacksonville, Tennessee, we mentioned Tennessee. They're up to a three and a half or a four-point favorite, depending on where you're looking. Look, the Titans, they've lost two games in a row, and I talked about it before their two-game skid here. I said, you know, they haven't really beaten anybody, but they've been in every game, and I wasn't sure if they were going to take that step up over the the last two games. Were they going to take that step up, and all of a sudden we were going to go, wow, Titans could win the Super Bowl and and be that number one seed like they were last year, and uh uh-oh, or were they going to be exposed? And I guess they were exposed a little bit. Look, Derrick Henry's averaged 34 rushing yards over the last two weeks. He's just not getting it done. He's just not getting it done. But he gets it done against Jacksonville. Over his last six games against the Jaguars, he's got 12 touchdowns. He's averaged 145 yards. They can't stop him. The Jaguars' defense ranks 25th in yards allowed. 
Tennessee has also dominated this matchup at Nissan Stadium. They're 5-1-1 one one against the spread over the last seven at home against the Jags. Now, the Jags, on the other side, look, their offense has failed to reach 100 yards in rushing in each one of the last three games. That's one of their problems. They are not able to get a sustained ground attack, but they are generating offense. They have a top 10 offense right now, 360 yards per game, 22 points per game this season. They can throw the ball, and all of a sudden, Trevor Lawrence looks like a guy that absolutely can throw the ball, absolutely looks like the guy that we thought maybe Trevor Lawrence was going to be. He looks like that guy. Well, the guy is Patrick Mahomes, the guy that we're still questioning, is he the guy? Well, yeah, you know, as Russell Wilson in Denver. Kansas City's a nine-point favorite, this divisional matchup on the road, Mile High Stadium. Kansas City loses last week. It's the Achilles heel. If Patrick Mahomes, look, Samson had the hair. I mean, you know, Achilles had the heel, clearly. Uh, Patrick Mahomes has Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. That's just the way it is. It's a bounce back for the Chiefs here. They need to actually win this game to stay in the hunt for the home field advantage, which is massive. Look, you don't want to travel to Buffalo in January, Orchard Park, to go out there and win a playoff game. You don't want to do that. And you don't want to travel to Cincinnati if maybe the Bengals go on this crazy roll in a spot where you'd have to go into a place where you don't win. And now you have to go into their house? Yeah, that, that, that's a problem, right? So you don't want to do that. The Chiefs actually have to win this game. And what a better opponent than the inept, completely horrible, pathetic-looking Denver Broncos and that offense. Their offense is averaging 11 points per game over their last four losses. That's after the bye week. So you figure after the bye week, this great coach, oh my goodness, this great coach is going to figure things out. They've actually gotten worse. The Broncos have lost six in the last seven games. They average a league low 14.3 points per game overall. But since the bye week where he had a chance to fix it all, 11 points per game. Patrick Mahomes absolutely owns the Broncos. He's 9-0 against as a starter against the Broncos. This line is 9, and it's not big enough. I'm stunned this isn't double digits. Maybe it's not double digits because Kansas City lost last week. Maybe it's not double digits because, you know what, the Broncos' defense is pretty good. Maybe it's not double digits because eh, they're on the road. Maybe. I don't know. It's not enough. Kansas City should absolutely humiliate Denver. If Kansas City doesn't, you got to start questioning Kansas City's uh, game plan here. Uh, I like that they went with Pachenko. Well, for some reason, Travis Kelsey just wasn't even targeted, really, in the first half of that game last week. So, I, I, albeit, look, I'm not going to sit back and blame Andy Reid or question what Kansas City does, but I want to see the fix here, right? I want to see them go out here and fix some things against a Denver defense that, yes, they are good, but I think we all know that while the Denver defense is good, they're also vulnerable. You can run on this team, which means Pacheco has to run. You can also expose them over the middle, which means Travis Kelsey is a great pick as well. So that's things that I'm looking at here. Even a guy like McKinnon could have a nice game here, uh, uh, Jarek McKinnon, in a spot where, Look, he's not going to run the ball, but he could get that flip out, and he could be that guy. Let's go. Tampa Bay, San Francisco. San Fran, three-and-a-half-point favorite over the Bucks, and it's gone down to three in a lot of spots. This is probably going to go down under the number. Look, it's Brock Purdy, and that's what it is. It, Brock Purdy did play well. He is Mr. Irrelevant, which means he was the last pick in the draft. He completed 25 and 37 passes. That's pretty good. Only 200 yards, so a lot of it was check down passes, but checking down actually works, and two touchdowns and one interception. That's good. Now, the Bucs have a short week to prepare for a quarterback they don't know. 
while he might stink and you guys think everything else, they don't know him, right? I mean, they don't know him. The Bucks also have lost their last three road games. Yeah, that's a problem. Nick Bosa is going to be going up against an offensive line that is missing Ryan Jansen, Aaron Stinney, and Tristan Wirfs. They're missing three starting offensive linemen. Tristan Wirfs is going to be exactly who Nick Bosa would be going up against. He had three sacks last week. Nick Bosa is as much part of this team as a TJ Watt is part of Pittsburgh. He absolutely dominates at times. Over the past 15 years, there's been 26 quarterbacks. I got this from CBS, by the way. I want to give them credit. Over the past 15 years, there's been exactly 26 quarterbacks taken in the seventh round or later, right? Of those 26 quarterbacks, six of them started a game. Only six. Guys, they went 17 and 35. And Trevor Simeon actually went 13 and 17. So if you take out Simeon, okay, 4 and 18. They don't win games because they're not quarterbacks that can be starting quarterbacks in the NFL. On the other side, you have Tampa Bay. Tom Brady did more Tom Brady type of things. Even slaying the dragon, his own personal dragon, was what that was, the New Orleans Saints. But I didn't love the offense. Something's wrong with Mike Evans. He just, uh, it wasn't Lattimore this week, right? Something's wrong with Mike Evans, and it's been wrong with Mike Evans for a while. It's clearly something was wrong with Leonard Fournette. It's kind of Brady to Godwin all day, every day, and that's all they have. So I do worry about Tampa Bay here. I worry that they're going to be rushing Brady too much. I'm worried that the running game can't work. This looks like an under all day to me. Uh, If San Francisco can't get anything working, I don't know if they're going to get anything working with Brock Purdy. Another game that I'm leaning the under is Carolina-Seattle. The Seattle, uh, Seattle Seahawks look bad, bad, and then they beat the Rams in a game that they look bad. So this is three straight games where they've looked bad, and they had a bye week in the middle of that, but they are three-point favorites against Carolina. Carolina's got to travel all the way to Seattle. That's always tough, but the reality is is that, look, Carolina's coming off of a bye week, so that's pretty good. They let Baker Mayfield go, freeing the locker room and saying, okay, it's Sam Donald, it's your job to lose. Carolina has had more than 250 yards passing only once this entire season. Ouch. Now, Geno Smith, he's got four straight games of 275 yards passing. Sam Donald... The Panthers uh, are going to look to Sam Donald to fix a 30th-ranked offense, but the Seahawks' defense is ranked 30th, and that's what I've been saying about the Seahawks for a while here, guys. While I like Seattle, I do, and I'm rooting for them, and I think that they could be something. Their defense is absolutely terrible. There's no other way around it. Their defense is terrible. So I, I look at this team, and I look at this defense, and I go, I think you you can put pressure on them. The line opened up at three. It's a fair line. It quickly is going to go up. I expect this to go up at four, four and a half, and it gets over that number. You might want to take a look at a well-rested and a good defense at Carolina. Remember, they got a good defense, and Brian Burns missed some time. He is an absolute stud on the outside. Luvu looks really good in the middle. Jeremy Chin is back from his extended absence. Their defense is really good, and if it's a battle between defensive teams and a low-scoring, you know, grinded-out kind of battle, Sam Donald might be able to put up enough points against Seattle. This is not that foregone conclusion I think people think it is. Two games left, the Sunday night affair and Monday night football. Sunday night game is one of the better games maybe of the season if it goes the way that I think it could go, and that's the Dolphins are a three-point favorite against the Chargers. Uh, You could say everything you want about the ability of Justin Herbert and the team that the Chargers have put together because it is a massively impressive group of talent. But Staley has not done a good job coaching this team. They missed the playoffs last year. With all that was said about Justin Herbert, he is an under 500 quarterback. And you can tell me that's not his fault. I get it. But he's still an under 500 quarterback. Now he's playing at home in a game on Sunday Night Football against the guy that he's going to be compared to for most of his career, and that's Tua. 
right? I mean, most of it, all you ever heard was that the Dolphins should have taken Herbert, should have taken Herbert. Well, Tua right now is a better record. Tua right now is the better quarterback. I don't think you could argue that. I mean, Tua's in the MVP conversation. We talked about that. So it's a one-on-one battle where I think Justin Herbert has a lot to prove here. I think this is a Justin Herbert situation where the Chargers are in almost a must-win, and the Chargers are in a spot where every attention is going to be on Justin Herbert. People have dropped this line, and they like the Chargers. Opened up at four. It's down to three. I've seen some two and a half some places. And a lot of speculation is, is two injured. All right, they, they, the Dolphins and Tua, they downplayed the ankle injury that he did suffer against the Niners. He was uh, physically and visibly shaken. We could see that. But Miami did enter uh, last Sunday 8-0 when Tua played. Half the snaps were scored, uh, and they had scored 31 or more points. I don't want to say that San Francisco was a fluke, but it, it, it seemed kind of fluky in that game. It seemed like that. You do have some things that certainly aren't fluky, and that's left tackle Teron Armstead. Teron Armstead left two weeks ago. When he left in the middle of the game, Tua got sacked three times. He wasn't there last week. Well, Tua was on the run most of the time and walked away with an injury. He looks like he's going to be back this week. You hope that Teron Armstead is going to be back. Because the one thing that the Chargers certainly do, and they certainly do well, is get after the quarterback. And they can do that. Now, the Chargers are 2-3 and three in the last five games. They were all one-score games. They're right there. Which is more credence to sort of saying, hey, this is a Justin Herbert problem. They're also 2-3 and three against the spread this season, and straight up. At home, that's a, a problem, but it's never really felt like their home, right? The Chargers enter the week 29th in pressure rate. They don't get after the quarterback all that well, or they don't get to him. But if you watch the games, they 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 pressure him less, but when they get the pressure, they, they tackle it. I mean, they sack him. Yeah. So they're not bad there. They rank bottom five in first down DVOA, bottom five um, uh, in first down on offense and defense. So it's not just the defense that's a problem. You can run on the Chargers, though. I, I mean, this is this is the giant elephant in the room. Talk to me all you want about the Dolphins and their problems, and the Chargers may be able to get after you, but you can't, you know, or they can, they can sack you, but they can't get after you, right? All of it, throw it all out. Even the Justin Herbert stuff that I led with. This is the game right here. The... Los Angeles Chargers are actually 100% the worst team since 1960 of giving up yards per carry. They are giving up 4, 5.4 yards per carry. That is literally more than any other team since 1960. They flat out cannot stop the run. They cannot stop the run. It's pathetic how bad their run defense is. Can the Dolphins take advantage? Look, the Dolphins knew they had a problem, and most of it was running okay, but they knew they had a problem in the running game before the year began. They knew they had a problem in the running game earlier in the season, and they tried to fix it with Jeff Wilson. Jeff Wilson came in, he looked pretty good, and then he just stopped getting carries. The the Dolphins are averaging under 90 yards per game on the ground. That's one of just five teams in the NFL averaging under 100 yards per game this season. And by the way, Tua runs a little bit, so that means it's even worse. They also have the fifth-worst yards per carry rate in the NFL. If the Dolphins can run on the Chargers, they win this game, and they win this game handedly. If the Dolphins cannot run and take advantage of the worst defense that we've seen against a run since 1960, it's going to be a long day for the Dolphins in a spot where I think it's a motivated Justin Herbert. Now, I like Mostert. I like Wilson. But for whatever reason, they just do not commit to these two. So I think that the running game means just about everything in this contest.
Let's go to Monday Night Football. Arizona and New England is about a one-point spread. I expect this to go off at about that. I'm surprised New England doesn't get up. Uh, would, I would be surprised if New England doesn't get up to two or so. Uh, the Cardinals, look, they lost four of the last five games before the bye week, and they do look bad, okay? The Patriots, they're three and two straight up on the road. That's good, so they can absolutely get things going. Now, it, like they, they have an offense that is limited. I think that you look at... Jones, and he is limited. We know that. Stevenson hasn't been great. The Patriots have averaged only 68 yards rushing over the last three weeks. But there's a chance Damian Harris could come back now. I I think it's okay. Look, what they do is they dink and dunk a lot. They don't commit many turnovers. They haven't committed a turnover in three games. And that's the philosophy that they're doing. So they're limited, but they're effectively limited. The Cardinals, they're 2-10 against the spread in the last 12 Monday night games. And they're terrible at home. Cliff Kingsbury is one of the worst coaches in the history of the NFL at home. It's just terrible. The banged-up Cardinals also, um, they got a week 13 bye, which they needed, but 11 players are injured are on injured reserve. Half a dozen of their players more are listed as questionable. We don't know what's going on with this team. We do know that they are 24th ranked against the pass and 10th against the run. So New England's going to have to pass the ball a little bit here. They're going to have to do something offensively to move the field, ball downfield a little you're not going to be able to just run all day. Now, that could mean Stevenson. That could mean small dinking and dunking. That could mean a lot of Hunter Henry. Sure, that could mean that. It doesn't have to be push it all the way downfield. But they're going to have to go to the air, and they're going to have to trust Mac Jones more than they've trusted him in a lot of games in his career, especially in a game like this. Now, New England's defense, it's been fantastic. It is top eighth ranked in many categories, basically their eighth overall. Belichick's done a great job, but Steve Belichick's done a great job as well. We have to give him credit. The one thing I will say is that Kyler Murray scares me against the Patriots. Why? Because Belichick just doesn't play well or doesn't design schemes well against running quarterbacks. I remember, um, you know, Lamar Jackson. And you go, oh, yeah, well, let's go back. Lamar Jackson, he only threw for 218 yards. Now, he did have four touchdowns, but he had 107 yards on the ground. I remember Josh Allen just last week, right? He only threw for 222 yards. Uh, he threw for two touchdowns, but he had 20 yards rushing on the ground. Okay, so he was able to get out there and create. Justin Fields, he only threw for 179 yards, had 82 yards on the ground, and a rushing touchdown. Rushing quarterbacks can have a lot of success against this Patriots defense. It's a Patriots defense that, like I said, they're number eight ranked overall. They're a really, really good defense. I'm trying to take nothing away from them. But if there is one problem, it would be that running game. And this is what you have to sometimes do. It's good to know trends, and I give you guys trends and stats and against the spread. And, and I, I give you that information that you could base your some of your pred- predictions off of and some of your picks. I, lo- I watch a lot of video. I watch it like a coach does. I watch matchup uh, situations and problems, and I try to give you guys that where, you know, Teron Arbstead might be going up against a good ru- uh, you know, pass rush or Nick Bosa is going to be on the outside or TJ Watt and whatnot. I do matchups. Uh, but you also have to look at this from what has been effective in the past, and you use the past with the matchups, and that is a running quarterback against Bill Belichick. It's just been effective. Not only this year, I could give you many other examples throughout his career. I don't want to say that he doesn't know how to scheme against it. It's that his defense is not designed to scheme against it. So his the Patriots' defense is designed a certain way. Now, we know it's going to be Hopkins and Jones, by the way. It might be Defensive Rookie of the Year. He's going to cover Hopkins, and that's fine. I don't think Murray's going to be able to do too much, but what he can do is run the ball. Now, he's not been as effective runner this year as we've seen in the past. 
I'm looking at this game, and I think this is a, almost a must-win for the Patriots. I lean the Patriots. It's a giant coaching mismatch. Not only that, the Patriots also have an extra day off because not only— uh, Yeah, sure, Arizona's coming off a bye week, but the Patriots hadn't played since last Thursday. So that helps as well, including the Monday— it's a coaching mismatch. So you have to lean with Belichick in the coaching mismatch. You have to lean with the defense in a completely defensive mismatch where the Patriots' defense is far superior than the 24th-ranked Arizona defense. But the offenses are where it could get a little dicey. Mac Jones has to do a certain number of things. Arizona does stop the run really well. Mac Jones is going to have to be the guy against Kyler Murray. You lean that towards Arizona. So I think the spread is very fair. I lean the Patriots. But I understand why the spread is basically a pick 'em game or it'll be under a field goal. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me. Enjoy the week. By the way, one quick note, Aaron Judge signs with the New York Yankees. Yeah, it's good for baseball. I don't care if you're a Yankee fan or not. It's good for baseball when guys stay with their teams. It's good for baseball when premier names stay with premier type of teams. I'm not an Angels fan, but you want Otani to stay with the Angels. You know, you go down the list of you know, Trout. You wanted him to stay with the Angels. It's a premier team. You want Kershaw to stay with the Dodgers. And you want Aaron Judge to stay with the Yankees. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.